Hello? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Why do you want to know my name? Because I want to know who I'm looking at. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Never, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back, because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back! Hello? Remember me, it's showtime. Someone's out to make a sequel. Body count is always bigger. One, all bets are off. Anyone, including the main character, can die. Do you think it's over? What's your favorite scary movie? Oh yeah, we switched it up a bit. It is not an episode of Peaky Blinders. This is a brand new episode of Ian Hates Movies. My name is Ian. My name is Kelly. And as much as they want to pretend, that is not the theme song. Well, it is technically, I guess, the theme song of Peaky Blinders. But that song was specifically done for Scream 1, 2, and 3. And finally, on Ian Hates Movies, that is the topic of discussion for today. Kelly, how do you feel about that? Well, happy Halloween, everybody, since we're covering these. <laughs> Very true. We have made it through September and October with all the quote-unquote scary slash horror movies, slasher movies, whatever you want to say from time to time. This is our second to last week, so we're going to be doing my second favorite movie of all time, which is Scream. Woo! And then next week... We will have another special treat for everyone, but we're going to keep that a little secretive for right now. <laughs> well done. Well done, You're Kelly. welcome. <laughs> so yeah, I have been waiting to do this for forever. Starting this show, it has always been my goal to get to certain movies. And coming up to the end of the year, as well as the one-year anniversary of Ian Hates Movies, it's only fitting that we're going over something that has meant so much to me, I guess is the way to put it, right? Absolutely. So, Kelly, when did you start with The Screams? Was it recently that you saw the third one? Have you seen all of them already, or is this kind of new for you? I don't know if I want to tell you. <laughs> you have to. No, I remember seeing Scream 
in high school, but like it was one of those like you're at a party and it's on in the background. I didn't really actually watch the movie. I just remember seeing certain scenes. This was actually my first time fully sitting and watching this whole movie. And obviously, we I watched uh, two and three as well for this particular episode. So, but I like the fact that doing my research beforehand and then watching the movie, I think I appreciated it even more because it's it's not a true horror movie. It's satire, which is hysterical. Yes, I would say for sure there is a lot of satire based in this movie. I don't know. I laugh sometimes, obviously. But I do think it's more in the slasher genre than people like to think. See, now, the way I describe it, uh, in me viewing it, is that it's dark satire, but, like, done by Quentin Tarantino. Like, the amount of gore in it is not necessary. Sure. But that's what makes it the slasher. Hence... This is Tarantino's style, you know, funny, dark comedy kind of a deal is what it is, what it comes off as. The story is behind the scenes that the movies were supposed to get like NC-17 ratings and they had to cut a whole shitload of stuff out in order to make it to R. And the way they got it was to talk to the MPAA and tell them, look at this more as a comedy instead of a horror movie and that's how they got the r rating and that is true for all four films they are all rated r but fun fact too there is no nudity whatsoever in all four scream movies yep now we're going to focus on the trilogy we're going to leave scream four for another time you know, we'll see if a Scream 5 comes out. We might go into that more, like maybe the week before, do Scream 4 and then do Scream 5. Like, there's right. no way we're not going to talk about Scream 5 if it does come out. <laughs> right. No, no way about that. But I will agree with you one thing, too. Scream 3 was mostly comedy. I'd say Scream 3, if you were going to do percentage-wise, it's like 20% horror, 80% trying for some type of comedic whatever. Right. Which falls flat probably most of the time. Majority of the time, absolutely. And that you're also kind of like, okay, so this is the third one. Who the hell else could want to, why are we still copycatting? Like, really? Like, what's going on here? Like, how can you hate someone like Nev Campbell? She's so sweet and adorable. And you've never met this person, but whatever. (laughs) And that's the thing about these movies that it's unfortunate because Scream 1 was so good. The rest of the movies become, let's guess who the killer is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a whodunit. And that's not necessarily a good direction for these slasher movies to have gone through because it happens in everything. In Urban Legends, you start guessing who it is. In every single slasher movie, oh, I still know what you did last summer. I know what you did. Every single one, you're trying to guess on the back of your mind, okay, well, that person's in there, but is something else here? Like, what am I missing? Can that still be the killer? Well, then, and then obviously after Scream, your mind goes to, you know, is this a it takes a village kind of a situation? How many people are involved here? And that's why Scream 1 was revolutionary is because no one was ever expecting more than one killer. Because especially in a more realistic horror movie like Scream was, it's hard for you to believe that any psychopaths would be able to get together and keep each other's secrets and be smart about things. You know what I mean? Like it's literally a cutthroat type of situation where will this person actually continue on with the same path you want or will they kill you or will it, you know, where does that trust come from? Well, I think once you realize who these people are, your mind goes to, oh, no, no, I know people like that. Who would be able to do that? <laughs> like, and I mean, there's even real life references to those type of 
teams, I guess. They never squeal on each other. They never flipped on each other. They're both doing life or whatever. That bond is oddly there for people who aren't related kind of a deal. But it's very small percentage, though. You're extremely small percentage. I mean, people in regular life can't keep secrets. Imagine them trying to go through this. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's a little bit different if if your secret is, one, you're, you're both going to go to jail anyway, period. But two, if I rat on you, there's a super high chance that you'll kill me anyway. Like, like if that's there, then it's, I don't know, there's still that underlying... Well, maybe it was easier for... They could kill for, me. Well, right, right. Maybe it's easier for Scream 1 through 3 in those years, but now with Scream 4, where every single thing you do is written down, like, how could you ever have a conversation with someone to actually start that whole thing? Like, hey, man, we're really good buddies, and we love horror movies. Would you like to kill people with me? <laughs> where does that conversation that's take true. place? That's true. I want the... I, I, that's the one scene I was looking for. I need the flashback for it to be like, so we both got hammered one night. As opposed to it turning sexual, it just went, we're going to kill people. Like, where's the... <laughs> well, I guess... it's either way. They brought that whole thing together in Scream 3. So you understand a little bit more what happened in the first movie with that. And I'm sure the plan was not there to bring it together that way. But right. it does work. Like, that is yeah. one thing you can say for they Scream 3. They cover the 3. loopholes. Yeah. Absolutely. That actually does kind of work in the way that they want it to. So I'll say that for sure. But I guess my whole thing was, <laughs> how do you get people to go along with something like that? How do you know that person so well that they are going to want to do the same thing that you are? True. I think that's why in most horror movies before, it was a very singular, selfish, isolated act. But I also feel like, especially if you grew up with someone, like, all through, like, even kindergarten, not necessarily friends, but, like, you've witnessed this person, and if you're the certain type of person who can manipulate, it's really, especially, I mean, with this, I mean, between these two, one is clearly the one who's the leader and one's the follower, and the follower's a moron. So it's not <laughs> that hard to talk them into being like, oh, come on, blah, 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 you know, you just have to call him a pussy a couple times, so you can probably talk him into doing shit. That is a possibility. The way I, I guess I kind of revered Scream 1 is that at that time, there was no one else in horror where it was two people that was doing anything. So it was always, you only had to worry about one. You didn't have to worry about a second one, so you could trust the people that were around you, and now you can't. Yeah, I'll absolutely give you that. But it, the one thing I like about this, because of it, since it is divided that way, is that when this person's over here and then suddenly they're over there, Makes more sense versus like, and I know what you did last summer. You're like, dude, there's no way you could get from point A to point B in like 45 seconds and completely clean out the trunk. Like, really? Like, you need to have two people at least. That's kind of the way work. I still feel about Scream 3 a little bit. Yeah. Kind of. I, it's, yeah. it's a little bit more explainable, but it's still a little iffy where you're like, wait a second. No, no, no. How are you still getting away well, with just, certain things the horror house in the in that last scene just makes you go like jesus really everything's a trap door what the hell's going on here yeah and how much time did you spend with milton to know his house that well right it just doesn't seem practical yeah no but yeah that's that's a separate thing for later for sure another thing that i really loved about scream was at the time scream was the only horror movie that really focused focused more on it being more realistic yeah. Like, when I was that young, what was different about this, too, was you could imagine that kind of thing happening, where all the other horror movies that were out for a long, long time were exorcism movies, and Jason and Freddy, all of these supernatural right. ha Halloweens, yeah, yeah, all supernatural things. And I was never afraid of any 
of those type of characters. Like, I was never worried that Jason's going to bust through my house. Like, I was always one of those people who's like, I can get away from Jason. I'm not a fucking idiot, so I would know what to do if Jason, especially if we were in a field and I had plenty of room to run around, I would not worry about Jason ever catching me. Right. Which, which, I mean, that loops back into Scream. The fact that the way she answers the phone, she's like, because I'm not a moron, I wouldn't run upstairs. I'd run out the front. Like, I like the fact that they touch on that. And it's like, well, if you're dealing with a true serial killer, what would you do? And in the movie, too, she does run for the door first. And then once she realizes she can't get out, that's what forces her upstairs. Right. Which is always good. That's something great about Sydney. And they talk about, you know, not having strong women role models and stuff in movies. Sydney Prescott is one of the strongest women in any, even in all horror movies. I mean, you can say, obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, you okay. can obviously say Jamie Lee Curtis for being a very Sigourney strong Weaver. woman. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. Yes. <laughs> you can definitely... <laughs> Nice. Nev Campbell as Sidney Prescott has to be on that list. She has to. Absolutely. She's always been extremely strong. She's always been the one in all four movies to fight the killer. Every single one. She punches someone in every single movie. Yeah, she really does. (laughs) It's fucking great. And gets fucked up in the third one, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she gets punched in the face by a guy a bunch of times and is still right there fighting the entire time. Extremely. So I I love Sidney Prescott. So. Should I tell my first story with Scream, I guess, before we... Yeah, let's let's launch into it that way. All right, so I've mentioned multiple times on the show throughout for different reasons that Scream was my first R-rated movie. Now, this is my first R-rated movie that wasn't edited for television. So I'd seen, like, you know, Terminator 2, whatever, Predator or something on TBS or TNT, you know, whatever it was. Which makes it a PG movie, not an R-rated movie. Exactly. So this was the first real movie where it was rated R and it was straight up horror with that comedy. But of course, being a little kid, I'm not getting the jokes anyways. When they're making their inside horror movie references, I'm not understanding that at this point in my life. So are you saying that you're not following every single Halloween reference in this movie? Because there's like 40. There's a whole bunch. Yes, there are a whole bunch. <laughs> and by the way, in Halloween H2O, they're watching Scream 2 right. in the background. So there, there's a whole back and forth between them. But this was my first R-rated horror movie, and I was in a place where I had a very, very, very depressing time in my life. Like, it was awful. I was very mistreated by school stuff, not family or anything, but, like, school stuff and everything. I was in a place that I despised that I never, ever want to go back to again. And we had this old VCR that, for some reason, could tune in the pay-per-view channels. But not not the porn ones, unfortunately. Believe me, that would that would have made my life so less depressing. You have a magical VCR, fantastic. Seriously, that's what I thought. It was so crazy. It would only work with the main pay per view movie channels, though. Scream might have been one of the first movies that pay per view ever did, where they would play it for twenty four hours straight. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. So I once I found this out, I watched Scream throughout the day. It would be a Saturday, and I would just watch it throughout the day. I've seen Scream 1 countless times. It's over. It's got to be over 200 times now. So Scream is your um, Christmas story, is what you're saying. So this is your TBS moment where you're just it's just on in the background while I do my thing. There's one movie that supersedes it, but this is the number one horror movie. Okay. Yes, this is the number one horror movie. And you are correct. This is I do like that reference of TBS with a Christmas story because that is a Christmas tradition for me. 
Is it? I do, yes. I always have TBS on, and that movie's in the background. <laughs> no, no doubt about that. But Sweet. I was drawing pictures of Scream like I was... Back in the day, downloading like the pictures from it, like making fan scripts when there weren't any. Like that was my thing. How much I love this movie. And it just hit me so at the right moment because I was so done with seeing the TBS and TNT versions of Jason and Freddy and all that kind of stuff. I wanted something that was more realistic because it's like you had mentioned before, you could imagine those people existing. Right. And the other ones, I can't. As much as I'd like to believe in magic, I really don't. As much as I like to believe in ghosts, I don't. Like I said, a lot of ghosts are just dicks. So I just <laughs> true. Yeah. So I don't really care about that. This was a movie where you had this, to me, extremely hot heroine that was able to fight back and take on these douchebags and win. And I really enjoyed that. And the comedy was there once I actually understood it because I had to look up the references. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I understand what Randy's talking about. Now I understand what they're doing. And then, of course, Rose McGowan was hot as Tatum. You know, Courtney Cox was hot back then as Gail Weathers. Yeah, she was good in the first two movies. Third one, she started getting weird. But no, yeah. Second one, height of friends. Allegedly, I want to say in the third one, she might have started a little... You know, little stuff. Plastic, yeah, something. You know, yeah. allegedly, allegedly. Little Barbie, little Barbie. Mm-hmm. But other Which is than fine because Parker Posey's hot too, so that works for me. She was, but holy shit, was she annoying character in that movie? Well, no, yeah. But I do like Parker Posey a lot, and that's too bad. And that's one of the pitfalls of Scream Three was way too much on the comedy side, not enough on the story because the story was good. I had no problem with Scream 3's actual outline of what they wanted to do. It wasn't a bad way of going about things. I kind of wish that... I I, know, I like that they've kind of set up this like dual serial killer scenario. But I almost want it to be... like You can still do that, but then them not being cahoots. Like I want it almost to be like, this person's doing this thing and this person's doing this thing. But somehow they're cross-viewing over, but not actually working together. Like, I feel like they could have gone that route with it. And then you realize at the end of it, well, you're trying to kill her. Well, I'm trying to kill her, too. Like, then it becomes like a one thing, you know, because then then it's kind of throwing everybody off because then, okay, well, if he's here in this scene, then he can't be the killer. But he actually is because that person's also like, I don't think that's ever happened before. That's what I'm saying. So it's copyrighted Kelly. This is Kelly's. You're welcome. Yeah, this is Kelly's Uh, thing right here. pending. They don't even do that on the Scream TV show. Well, okay, so. I'm intrigued by Please this. ask me. I am the scream expert on everything. Please. So, so how are they even managing to do this? Is this episodic? Is it a miniseries? Like, how are nope. they? Just finished its second season. Okay. I've watched both, and I will continue to watch it. A lot of people were pissed off because it's a different mask than Ghostface. And it is. It's a different mask. And here's why it's not a bad thing. Okay. They are following a completely different... Timeline, storyline. No, well, mean? all those, all those, but there's uh, a <laughs> mythology. There we go. Okay, so it's a different. So is it a different like urban legend? Oh wow, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a very long story, and it's probably best we don't get into it completely here. But what you need to know is it doesn't follow any scream mythology. It is just another slasher movie in the vein of a series it's what people have complained about for a long time with horror movies constantly killing characters that you don't care for 
well, how do you get characters to care for? You give them more time on screen and you give them actual backstories. So that's what a TV series allows for. So it's actually a very good idea. And, you know, they have the character like Sydney. They have the character like Randy. The character Randy actually in the second season gets a podcast. And he podcasts the killings and all that kind of stuff. And he makes a comment. I think it's the very first episode of season one where they talk about having a slasher movie as a TV series. And it's like, that could never work. So they're doing the same type of thing as Scream 2 did when they talk about all sequels sucking. They're doing that kind of thing, but as an actual TV show. And it's not poorly done at all. They put a lot of money into it. The acting is pretty good throughout. And the storyline actually comes together through both seasons and into the third season also continues on as well. Okay. So, interesting. So it's completely separate. I would recommend it to people if they like the idea of having a longer horror movie. Okay. But let's at least get the initial stuff out of the way. So we always talk about Rotten Tomato scores and everything. So even though we're not going to go into the Scream 4 story, we will mention it here briefly. So Scream in 1996 got a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. Scream 2 in 1997 has an 81%. Which is amazing. I'm surprised at that. I have always been (laughs) surprised at that score. But we will get to that. Scream 3 then has a 36% in year 2000. Yeah. And I'm surprised they didn't call it Scream 2000. Right. Because they could have pulled a Dracula right there. And a Blues Brothers and (laughs) whatnot. And then Scream 4 jumps up to 59%. Okay. And that's a little surprising to me as well. Okay. The first movie happens in the town Woodsboro. The second movie takes place at Windsor College in Ohio. The third movie takes place in Sunrise Studios in LA. Woo! Hollywood! And Scream 4 is back in Woodsboro. So Scream 1 everything's in my head right now. Good. Scream 1 took place a year after Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott was killed. Scream 2 takes place a year after Scream 1. Scream Three takes place three years after Scream 2. And then Scream 4 is the 15-year anniversary of Scream 1, which means it took place 10 years after Scream 3. Right. So hopefully that's not as confusing to anybody. But that that's the layout of what the quadrilogy is. But like I said, we're going to focus on the trilogy. Yes. So now I'm not sure where to get started. <laughs> we can say Wes Craven directed all four films... The fourth film was the last film he directed before he passed away. And that might be one of... Actually, there's probably two reasons. Even though I did see a website with like all the projected movies for 2017 and Scream 5 was on there, Mm. those things aren't always real. But there's probably two reasons why Scream 5 probably won't happen. One is that Wes Craven passed away. The other one is the Scream TV show, which we've just been talking about, has been doing very well. So if you're going to keep it young and hip, it's on MTV, like you don't have to. That's where that series is going to do well. Right. So why make a movie when you have the series doing well? It's keeping Scream alive, but just in a different way. Okay. Do you think it would do better if it was on like an HBO? They put, I got to be honest, they, look, as much as I would like them to say fuck and fuck you and, you know, maybe show some nudity every once in a while or something, especially because most of the cast is extremely hot. It would, yeah, it would be nice to be on there. But I think MTV is actually, believe it or not, doing a good job with it. Okay. Because so, MTV can be... 
Yeah. They show plenty of gore. Like they show a lot of there was a lot of gore, especially in the first season. Hmm. So yeah, they got away with a lot because it's cable, so they don't really have to worry about that other stuff and they're True. not going to show nudity just like the other screams did anyway, so they don't have to worry about that. It's really just the whole wouldn't you want to say fuck you to the killer? Be like, hey, we right. gotta get these motherfuckers, you know. Whatever. You're right, exactly. Your fucking whore mother, you know, whatever whatever you're gonna say, you work with it that way. So that's probably not gonna happen. Scream 5, but who knows? I don't know. I don't need another Scream. You're good? Oh, I love I love the first one so much. I don't... I didn't want any sequels. I remember even as a kid getting annoyed that there was going to be... Like, that's how my whole sequel-hating thing started. started. Yeah. Good to know. I like hearing outside perspectives on a movie, especially since you just recently saw the second and third one. What's your overall thoughts of the series in general? I really like them, um, especially doing the research on them, just finding more and more trivia that is very fascinating to me. Um, I love the fact that it was originally going to be called Scary Movie. Yes. That that really kind of, and I'm like, oh my God. And then the fact that watching this after I'd already seen Scary Movie, it made me realize how, how Scary Movie pretty much, like, okay, you guys didn't even have to really do this movie because you're just literally ripping off scene by scene and you're making it slightly more dramatic or extreme on on a comedy scale but this is funny on its own like you didn't need to if you're trying to do satire and grab from a bunch of different movies you pretty much stole this whole movie well you didn't need to do that they did exaggerated humor so they made they made dewey in the movie (laughs) mentally challenged absolutely but he was doing a lot of the things that (laughs) Dewey was doing in the movies like that that was probably my biggest pet peeve with the second one was why was Dewey running around hobbling actually better words hobbling around the whole entire movie with no weapon whatsoever and tripping over things and falling down right why do you need that goofy character so what happens in the first movie is obviously he gets stabbed in the back and what I did like about Scream 2 is Randy asks him he's like Hey, you got stabbed in the back. What's with the limp and the kind of, you know, like his hand is, is a little messed up, which is not in the third one. But in the second right. one, he's like, you got stabbed in the back. Dewey's like, severed nerve. And yeah, they go on from there. Damage. But they could have yeah. just explained it away and not had that issue in the first place because it doesn't make Dewey more likable. Like, he's already a likable character. He's always right. going to show up to help Sydney. But do you need him to be goofy the entire time? Because you, you don't. Him being crippled doesn't bring anything to that character. Like, it's it's not an overcoming the odds kind of a situation because he's not preparing himself to do that anyway. No, he's really only a target the entire time. And then right. he does get what's coming to him because he, sh- he walks around without a weapon. He walks right. around without a weapon and he's a fucking idiot most of the time. <laughs> it's unfortunate because he's a likable character, but he's an idiot. Right. So, all right. Sorry. So go on with what you were saying. That scary movie and all that kind right, of stuff. Well, no, just yeah, doing the trivia on it and realizing just how much of uh, an homage they kept doing to, to Halloween was kind of fantastic. And right. then, of course, doing the research before seeing it, I'm now looking for this stuff. This has now become an Easter egg hunt for me, <laughs> and I found that way more fun for you know, fascinating as opposed to just like, oh god, I have to watch another horror movie, which was good. All the fun fan stuff that's come out of this is kind of fantastic too. It's the highest grossing slasher film. If you count in inflation, like that's extremely impressive. I'm not really surprised, though, 
because what other slasher movies can you really think of? Because I don't consider Halloween a slasher movie, really, even though he is just carrying around a butcher Freddy knife. Freddy and Jason alone, with merchandising and the popularity that everybody knows who those two characters are, it surprises me. Not everybody has seen Scream, and it's still doing. It still did uh, better. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and it opened before Christmas. Which, which is, is awesome. This is a Christmas movie. It's like the death area to release a movie that's not family. And then right. to have word of mouth spread about how great it was is pretty awesome. No, like that's just it. Like some of the trivia I found on this is absolutely fascinating. Now let me ask you this. Knowing that stuff, did you see Stu in Scream 2? No. Matthew Lillard is in that sorority house party. And Damn it. he hugs Mickey. I thought that he just didn't die in Scream 1. And right. I thought he was going to be back, which would have been great. I would have loved him to have not died and come back and scream too. That would have been fantastic. He's well, I love the, the fact fucking that, best. Right. See, no, that's great. I like that they did that. I like the fact that Henry Winkler has his Fonzie yeah. jacket in the closet. Like, that's know, fantastic. Right? <laughs> that they did all that stuff. Like, you don't have to do that. But the fact that they've made a horror movie special like that is great. Yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> that Scream 1 just... The entire outline of it, the whole iconic scene. And because, look, when I think Scream, I do not think the Drew Barrymore scene. I don't think Casey's scene at the beginning. But so right. many people do that that is such an iconic scene. Mine is the whole ending. The last 20 minutes of Scream, to me, is a masterpiece. No, no, yeah. By far the, uh, what is it, scene 118. Yeah, it took a 21 day yeah, shoot. Yeah, something ridiculous. And you it can see fantastic. why. You can see right. why that was a tough scene to film. But that's... But that's just it. That's perfect. I mean, everybody thinks of Drew Barrymore for the, what, 30 seconds she's on it, really. Right. As opposed to, I mean, you see the build of these epic characters and seeing how, what would happen in the, you know, the psychology behind it in that end scene was great. Yeah, that first scene with Casey, with Drew Barrymore, is definitely the most iconic that people look back to because nothing like that had been thought of before. Who's going to kill off out of everyone that's in that movie, besides Henry Wrinkler, and really, he's still a bit part character in most things now. <laughs> Drew Barrymore yeah, is the biggest character. The they do, but everyone right. knows Drew Barrymore at that time. And, not rumors, I guess, I think it was official, that they did offer her the part of Sydney, And she turned it down because she said, if you want it to be like, hey, I don't know what's actually going to happen in this movie, have me as Casey... Because if I'm Sydney, people are going to assume I'm not going to die. Yeah, that's true. So that's a really smart way of choosing your roles. And what does Drew Barrymore have to worry about? She's going to have plenty of money and you know she doesn't have to worry about that stuff. I think also that the way that Sydney's written, it I don't think it would hold any water with a blonde. Maybe not. And that was something that they went away from too, was to have that brunette star. But you know Tatum has bleached blonde hair. <laughs> and obviously right. she's going to die. Right. So it's, you know, it's one of those, it's kind of, she gives me a a young Laura Croft feel. Like it's that kind of like Mm. origin story that could turn into something like that easily. Look, I fell in love with Nev Campbell (laughs) at the, like the instant I saw her. So (laughs) Sydney Prescott to me, that just works. Even her sexual anorexia, you know, is still, I'd still date her. Crawling in her window, you know, (laughs) talking about R-rated movies and PG-13 relationships and everything, which I thought was great. As a little kid, when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, they're in love and this is great. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Did not work out. I mean, hey, you can say at least before Billy died, he got to, he got to have sex with her. So 
We didn't get to see any of it, but they, they got Mission that accomplished. I know. And you know that Stu was having sex with Tatum like all the time. Oh, yeah. So there was no worries there. <laughs> Good Lord. But let's talk about the lore of Scream. I guess. Yes, please. Let's let's go ahead and talk about this. So the main thing about or what starts the movie off is even though you don't see it, Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott, was killed a year before by a man named Cotton Weary, who's played by Liv Schreiber. Who's played by Sabretooth or Ray <laughs> Donovan. It depends on what kind of genre we're looking for here. <laughs> What's Timothy Oliphant's name in Justified? Because we should just call him that too at some <laughs> point when we get to when we get to that. Okay. That's where everything starts. So you pick up and scream a year later. It's almost the anniversary of that time. And that's how everything is being set up. The two killers, and I'm assuming you've watched these movies, so we're going to be ruining everything. So I hope, oh, absolutely, yeah. I hope you have watched these for fuck's sake. But yeah, so Billy and Stu set all of this up because Maureen Prescott apparently was also a whore. And the reason why I say that is not because women can't have sex with multiple men. She was married and then having sex with other people inside of the marriage that she wasn't supposed to. They didn't have right. an open but, relationship. No, no, no. And on top of that, she was also sleeping with other married people. So that makes them equally as guilty. But still, no matter what, the female is going to get the label. Right. So not only was she sleeping with Cotton Weary, but she was also sleeping with Billy's dad, Mr. Loomis. Apparently. In the second movie... It's after high school. They go to college. And then now the murders pick up again. And this time, the murders are happening to people that have the same names as the people that died in the first scream. Which is kind of fun. Yeah, it's, it's a like, fun tie and it's kind of brilliant. Yeah, it's like the killer is trying to continue the story. Well, like recreate it and then continue it by then trying to go after Randy and Dewey and Gail and Sydney and, and so on and so forth. Right. Now... Scream 2 has another, I wouldn't say an iconic opening, but it is two relatively famous people dying very quickly. Right. And in one sense, breaking a stereotype and another continuing a stereotype at the same time. (laughs) So I will tell you first off, I felt so bad for Omar Epps, for, (laughs) for Phil Stevens. I felt so bad for him because, holy shit, now her name is Maureen in the movie. Maureen is a super cunt. Like, I would want nothing to do. And I remember cheering madly when she was killed. It was one of the greatest moments because she was so fucking annoying. Because not only was she complaining about the movies in general, how horrible would it be to date a person like that? Yeah. And then she starts yelling at the screen. And it's already a loud movie. But for some reason, she's even louder than everyone else. (laughs) Somehow. Yes, somehow. So then there's a lot of things that have to happen in that whole scene for it to work out, which is very interesting how they get it to work out, I guess. But it's a movie, so it doesn't really matter that much. True. But Omar Epps is taken out pretty quickly. And then someone dresses up as him and comes back and sits by Maureen. And then starts stabbing her in front of everyone in the movie theater. But they think it's all part of the joke because everyone in the theater, it's like my nightmare. I would never ever, like that's the only thing that's ever scared me in any horror movie is if I had to have been in that theater because no one was being quiet. That's oh, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, this is, now mind you, this isn't even an option anymore thanks to the Batman incident. You cannot oh, dress up and go to the movie right. theaters. But I mean, if you go back to, 
I don't know, Phantom Menace, and everyone was in costume and was interacting during the movie, no, that would have driven me nuts, too. Because as a true fan of any particular genre, if I'm going to see something, I don't, I'm here to watch it. Right. Don't trust me. I don't do Rocky Horror because I don't no. give a shit. I don't need to throw stuff at the screen and talk about it. No. No, that's the thing. I don't go, and I would love to go see some of these old movies, especially now with Halloween time coming up. There are a ton of movies. IMDb sent me a thing because I have The Shining as one of my favorite movies there. They sent me a thing saying The Shining is coming back to theaters. I was like, well, I would never want to go see that because no one will keep their mouth shut. Yeah, It's all those movies. Any horror movie, any of those movies that they play are classics. Like, you can't go see The Sandlot. Because people will quote it as it's being played. Why do I have to do that? I can just have friends over and watch it at my place. True. But there are some movies that I will say that, I mean, mind you, the movies that I've seen aren't movies that you do that to that are cinema classic. Like, I've, I managed to see The Godfather's on the big screen. Absolutely amazing. And I, I mean, it was loud enough to if people were quoting, I didn't hear them. Okay. I've seen Gone with the Wind on the big screen. I'm sorry. Fantastic. <laughs> but I can completely see... With those horror movies, well, I, I absolutely people would do that. I can say, I mean, could you see that with like they do that with Indiana Jones when they replay those? For God's sake, right. it's like it doesn't really. Well, Back to why, the Future, good lord. Yeah, look, I could go and quote Scream One, Scream Two, and Scream Three at a theater. I could do the whole entire movie. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because what fun right. is that? It's right. just not that fun. But one thing we also want to mention: the, the way that screams continue to be meta throughout the time is that in the second movie, it is the opening night of stab one and (laughs) stab is the retelling of scream right and they continue stab two happens when there is no like we never actually get to see stab two but then in scream three they're filming stab three three and in scream four they have stab four out and it's not like hollywood doesn't like to rip those things off anyway though um amityville horror very true. And that's why they continue to do it. And, right. you know, their inside jokes for that is, you know, Heather Graham is Casey in Stab yeah. One. And then what's the brother's name? Casey Wilson is Billy. Right. And then one of the jokes that was made in Scream One, which was great just to be able to go back and do this. In Scream, Dewey asked Sydney, who would play you in a horror movie about this? I see you as young Meg Ryan. And she says, oh, that'd be great. But with my luck, I'd guess Tori Spelling. And then in Scream 2, when they do Stab 1, it's Tori Spelling. So yeah, so Scream 2, that's how they start. So that's the whole point of Scream 2 is let's redo Scream 1 with some twists in it. Right. And at the end, this was a little iffy for me. Like, I love Timothy Oliphant. And he was great as Mickey. But Mickey didn't have a whole lot to do in the movie. Like, I wanted him to have more time than Randy did. If they're going to build up a killer like that, I think they need it. And it was very easy to guess that it was him because he was the only person using a camera besides Gail's cameraman. Right. And then when the second killer comes out and is revealed, everyone's like, who gives a shit? Because no one knew who it was. Like, everyone knew her name was Debbie Salt, but why right. would Debbie Salt be that person? And then, you know, Sidney Prescott has to go mrs loomis and then we go oh billy's mother well mickey goes billy's mother and he's like spitting blood out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but i mean that's a good i mean it's a great horror movie reference too because i mean that's what jason is the whole it's initially it was his mom who was doing the killings in the first one like it's that kind of a and that was that was the second question i believe second question that the killer in scream one asks casey 
is who is the killer in the Friday the 13th movie. Right. Well, the, and, and the first it's a one twist. was a trial. Right, exactly. Yeah. Because it's a trick question, technically. Because, sure, yeah. it is Jason later, but it's Mrs. Voorhees in the first one. Right. Which was great. So that's a little reference point to that as well, which is fine. I'm fine with them having a woman killer as well. They've now had two of them in the four movies. Right. So Yeah, but would you really consider her? A, I mean, she technically kills Randy. But that's the only one she makes reference to. I mean, it's, I don't know. She's, she hired Mickey to do these killings, really. She only makes reference to one, but she had to have done multiple ones. What I'm guessing is also the relatively iconic scene in Scream 2 is when they get in that car crash and Sydney has to climb over the killer, which still, don't you just wish she would have, I don't know, <laughs> just ripped his throat out, like done something? I'm sorry, I would have took the mask off, period. So at least I would have known who it was. I would have reached for that fucking gun that was that on, too. Yeah, on and the then hood. just shot him. Yeah. Which was a weird thing. Why did they make clear reference to that and then have her not utilize it in that scene? Because I think this is what happens. As she leaves and they run away and then she goes, oh no, because she is a strong woman character, she wants to go back. She doesn't want to just run. When she goes back, I think the two killers are actually there. So I think it was Mickey in the car because obviously he had to throw around those two police officers. So I think right it was Mickey. Yeah. I think it was Mickey who got kind of knocked out by the car accident. And then I think that she comes, gets rid of him or like puts him over to the side and then goes around the back. And then she kills Haley, the right. roommate. Right. So I think that's and there are plenty of theories on who yeah. she obviously says she killed Randy. And there was no yes. doubt about that because she only got super pissed off when he started calling Billy a mama's boy. Right. And that was a great scene. Look, I despise Jamie Kennedy. Despise him and everything he does, except for Scream 1 and 2 and his little right. cameo in 3. He was, yeah, he was a perfect character because everybody knows that kid. Like, it, it worked. Like, right. everybody, you know, who are super into it knows all the lore. But, like, that's the kid you kind of want on your side because he kind of does know what's going to happen. Yeah. He's the one that sets all the rules in Scream 1. He has everyone, right. you know, he's an idiot for going to a party. I mean, they're all fucking idiots for going to a party. Like, how were all the cops not there? How right. was every single cop not at that fucking party? <laughs> but Just Dewey. He's Dewey the one. Can handle it. Yeah, cool. Dewey, yeah, Whatever. he's fine. He's fine. So he's the one who gives the rules, you know, hey, you can't have sex. You can't do drugs and drink. You can't say, I'll be right back. And everyone's a suspect. Like, those are the rules. Well, but there's two more rules. Well, there are two more rules by the killer, technically. So, yes, what are they, Kelly? Go ahead. Uh, You can't ask who's there, and you never want to go and investigate a strange sound. But those obviously don't always apply because Sydney, the best thing she did in the first movie was call his bluff and go outside. If she had actually stayed outside, there would have never been a chase in the first place. True. Because the killer is always trying to manipulate you. And that happens in Scream 3, too, when the house blows up. If everyone had been, yeah, if everyone had just been outside, everyone would have been fine. But nope, he had to, you know, go in and had to know. There's always got to be one person. Always. Well, we'll go back to some more of this stuff. But 3 starts. Cotton Weary now has a talk show called (laughs) 100% Cotton. Which is fantastic. And I thought this was a good way to start the movie as well. Because now instead of killing main you know actual huge actor actors in scream one and two now you're killing a main character in the movies one that you established in the second one to Mm -hmm. now be a good guy who can handle himself you go ahead and you kill him you also show that the killer has a new 
gimmick. Yeah, new, yeah, there you go. He can now go ahead and mimic anyone's voice, which is also an excellent idea for a horror movie. Oh, absolutely. Instead of having Roger Jackson's voice, he does do that as well. You also have the ability to actually even do Sydney's mom, which I don't know how that's even possible. Except well, if he took it from the films that she was horror in. Movie, yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, technically, he got his hands on home movies somehow. But yeah, the fact that she was in these horror movies. And now the way they did a lot of the comedy stuff was that everyone basically had a doppelganger. Which is awesome. But brings way too much comedy that didn't need to be in there. But oh, yeah. for all the people that hate anti-vaxxers, you can easily just look up the time where Jenny McCarthy is killed in this movie oh, see, and enjoy there it. There you go. So that's, that's for you guys out there. <laughs> so the rest of the movie people are being killed based on how they die in the scripts and what's also funny about that too is so they say they mentioned there are three different scripts going around so they can hide the killer that's also something they did in the scream movies in scream 2 people did not know who the killer was until the very end the last 10 pages of the script no one had that's cool and they had said that originally one of the ideas was to have Derek and Haley be lovers who were faking all this, who were brought together by Mrs. Loomis, which would have been an okay idea. Yeah. I would have no problem because now you've got the boyfriend covered, plus you've got the roommate covered. So two people that should be afraid to be around you, but they're not for some reason. And then they're trained by Mrs. Loomis. Right. Interesting. But, that could work. Yeah. yeah, it's not too bad. So Scream 3 continues with a lot of people dying character-based. And, of course, they still keep the trio. Gail, Dewey, and Sydney do not die in any of these movies, by the way, just right. to put that out there. But Sydney has done, once again, another smart thing. And she goes off and she lives by herself with not only a very secured house, but also the gate is secured. She has a dog with her. Dogs are a great idea for movies like this because they're always going to tell you when someone's around. There's no right. more sneaking around because the dog is going to know when there's someone else there. Right. One thing that I really do appreciate with Scream on the, the psychological side of it, especially with Sydney, the fact that if you walk on to set and it's a, a complete recreation of everything you've gone through, that's going to screw you up anyway. Yes. Like there's no... I mean, to the detail where she walks in her bedroom, and it's an exact. Well, there was one thing there that shouldn't have been there that is the funniest thing and scariest thing in Scream 3. Did you notice? What was it? In that recreation of Sydney's room, there is a poster of Creed. Yeah, that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I actually watched this movie with uh, some other people, and they're like, holy shit, is that a Creed poster? And I was because like... Yeah. Oh, it is. One of those songs that they play in the movie is a Creed song. It's the heavier of the Creed songs, so that's right, fine. Right. But still, yeah. The Scream 1 soundtrack was really good and really original because they had this great version of Don't Fear the Reaper that was all slowed down. Yes. Like, really good. Yeah. And then Scream 2, they went more into the rock kind of area. Like, the music that I listened to at that time. So it was Fuel and Dope and, like, all these other bands. Like, I think... Slipknot was even in the third one. Wait and Bleed was on the... Oh, my th God. I know. It's funny. But I love... I mean, I love Slipknot. But, yeah, that recreation... And there, that's the thing you can say about Scream. All three Screams, actually. And not as much on the fourth, but the first three. There are iconic scenes that are done very uniquely that you wouldn't see in other horror movies. So, in the first one, 
you have the ending scene. You also have Casey's scene. You have people trying to get out of dog doors in the in the garage. In the second one, you know, when Sydney's climbing over the car, like that's a pretty iconic scene. Like that's very well done. In Scream 3, you've got the set of old Woodsboro. That was well done. And then it turns out that in Scream 3, the killer is Roman, her half-brother. Since this is a trilogy, things from the first movie and second movie don't really matter because you're going to learn something new. Because that was another little thing, too. They had Martha Meeks shows up, and she was the worst actor of any. I don't know why she couldn't just deliver her lines because that's what's-her-name. That's the girl we've talked about in a couple different movies. The one who's always the ugly friend. Oh, no, yeah. Well, I mean, she was in Devil's Advocate. Yeah, she's in a bunch of things. But she brings this VHS tape that... Randy made when he was at Windsor College telling them the rules of the third movie or if this is a continuation. You know, it was actually, that was well done. Is it a trilogy or is it a continuation because it's different rules? And it was originally supposed to be a trilogy and then they continued it on. But the rules were correct as we learned something new, which is that Maureen Prescott left Wordsboro for a couple years and became a like C movie star, like horror oh, no, movie. Yeah. The blob. The yeah, that kind of shit. Yeah. yeah. But apparently she was in orgies or something and that fucked her up and she had one kid. Well, she had one kid before she married Sydney's dad, Neil. Like she had right. one. So there was anything wrong with it. But I guess she gave him up for adoption and then he came and found her. Right around the time before Scream 1 started, she wanted nothing to do with him. So really, Maureen Prescott wasn't the greatest of people. No. You were Rena Reynolds, and I'm Maureen Prescott is kind of a dick move. Well, I mean, this all goes back. I mean, this is this is a tried and true thing, though. I mean, if you the majority of your, your serial killers or drug addicts, you go either way, is you've had some sort of screwed up parental interaction, either, you know, they touch you or beat you or like there's a massive neglect. So that's the, I mean, that'll cultivate that serial killer or dread. Like dread, those are those two options really. Apparently there's no well-rounded people that come out of those things. I guess not. It really fucks Roman up because Roman starts filming her for some reason and then notices that she's having affairs with different people, you know, as a director, he gets Billy and says, Hey, maybe you should check this out. And basically tells them what to do. She has sex with Cotton Weary that night, and then they go ahead and kill her. Now I don't think they, I don't think they had sex with her. I don't think I would say I don't think Roman was even there for the murder. No, no, no. That no, was no, Billy no. and Stu. Yeah, this is this is a whole or just Billy. master scenario. Yeah. It could yeah, have just I, been no, Billy no. because only one person leaves with Cotton Weary's coat on. Right. Maybe it was Roman to go steal some of the home videos or something like that. That's a possibility, but I don't think he was there, and I don't think he had sex with her or anything, because that would be gross. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> Is that worse than killing her? I don't know. Either or. It's, it's pretty bad. Uh, so well, that's, I mean... a, that's a fine idea, though, to give us something new about a character that we only knew set everything off. So it's not a bad thing. Now, for him to go all psychopathic and blame Sydney is not fair. Sure, you can blame Maureen all you want, because she is the cause of pretty right. much all of this. But Sydney is not the cause of any of it. Which is funny that somehow she gets blamed for everything. Well, if for some well, reason, everybody wants do. their... Well, no, no. But it's... Everybody wants their 15 minutes... Of, that's the running theme here. It's the 15 minutes of fame kind of a deal. 
And she's like, I didn't want any of this shit. Like, really? Like, you think, really? This is, I have to go through all this. They do have the amazingly, amazingly great scene in Scream 1, obviously, where Billy and Stu are going over motives. What was great about that scene as well is when they're talking about motives, they're saying, we don't have a motive. We're just doing this because we love it. You know, we love killing. Then Billy goes, well, actually, you know, your slut mother was fucking my father, and that's why she left and abandoned me. You look at Stu's face, because they cut to Stu's face. Stu didn't know that this is the reason why Billy wanted to do this. He knows they killed. Like we get to kill people. I think yeah, he just wanted to go along with it, you know. (laughs) And he has that great line (laughs) when Sydney gets away and she calls and she's like, "Oh, Stu, 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 police are on their way. What's your motive?" And he goes, "Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive." (laughs) 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 Oh, my mom and dad are gonna be so mad. So mad at me. And by the way, some of those were ad libbed. Oh, which is great. It's Matthew Lillard problems. is a yeah, genius no. in this. Apparently, Billy wasn't supposed to throw the phone at him. And when it smacked him on the back of the head, that whole line was happening. He's like, you hit me with the phone, dick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which worked. Oh, it's perfect. That was their motive, technically, in the first movie. Was Stu just wanted, and they wanted to continue on. They wanted to be in the sequel. Their whole plan was not to... It wasn't just to get the 15 minutes of fame. They wanted to be the lone survivors, but it was so that they could go on and kill more people some other way, some other time. Like, that's what they wanted to continue to do. In the second movie, Mickey wanted to blame the movies. He wanted to get... He he wanted the trial. Yes. I mean, this is after... This is O.J. Simpson. This is... I'm going to get big. I mean, this is the Menendez brothers. This is a huge spiel. And this came because after Scream 1, there were a lot of... And I wouldn't, it's hard to say copycat killers. A lot of people, they did kill people and blame Scream, but they weren't anywhere near as thought out as Scream. So I have trouble saying copycat, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, the majority of them, from what I could see, are teenagers. Like, it's a 13 and a 12-year-old. There's, uh, like, a 15 and 16. Like, these are kids that were doing this. This this wasn't, like, you know, 20-something, you know, 30-year-olds. There's no really adults when it came to the bigger screen murders that came out after these after these uh, movies. Right. So they were bringing a little, once again, a little more real life into this as well by saying there was someone who is a psychopath but wants to blame the movies for it. And that was another wonderfully crafted, amazing line in Scream 1. They're going, and look, we should probably just go and do that whole scene and like talk about it you know, word for word and also action by action. But... In that scene, when they are talking back and forth and Nev Campbell calls them, you know, when Sid calls them psychos, she's like, you've seen one too many movies. And Billy says, no, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. That's a fucking great, great line. Because that's the way I would see it, if anything. I would never think that movies are the reason for violence. I don't think any of that. I'm not that person. But... To make them more creative? Sure, but anything could. Reading a book could make them more creative. Doing anything could make them more creative at that thing. But I thought that was really well done. So in the second one, when Mickey wants to go ahead and blame the movies and do a trial and everything, he's smart for wanting to do that because he's not so far off of getting, you know, not convicted. You know, getting that non-guilty, especially in a PC world. I I wouldn't be surprised about it. Well, that, I mean, it's a great, like, even proving a mental defect. Like, it's, if you're influenced, I mean, you're not going to get 
you'll be put away, but you're not going to be executed and you won't be put away in prison. Like they'll stick you in a mental health facility because you think that the movie, it, you know, I'm okay to do this because the movies did it kind of a deal. I was inspired by. And then Mrs. Loomis just wants revenge. Right. Because now she blames Sydney for everything. For her mom, you know, making her leave their marriage and then for killing Billy. So it's straight up revenge, which yeah, absolutely. is fine. You know, whatever. Yeah, that's an easy motive. Yeah, that's, that's fine. And then the third one was Roman didn't have the family, but Sydney did. Right, right. But really, for most of Sydney's life, you really wouldn't want to be her. So she had maybe, what, 16, 17 years of, and even then, take away one and a half or so for the death of her mother. Mm-hmm. And then she really didn't have that great of a life. Yeah, but I mean, you can't even really say that, though, because, I mean, if her mom's sleeping around with all these people, she probably wasn't great to begin with. Like, you probably weren't really there. Sydney does not talk about how great her mom was. No. <laughs> no. But she is freaked out that when her mom dies, you know, she doesn't want to have sex with Billy and she doesn't want to do all that stuff. So who knows? So she went the opposite end of her mom. Absolutely. Much. Yeah. yeah. Which is something that kids tend to do sometimes is to try and be as completely the opposite of their parents. But then they end up at some point probably reaching a middle ground or being exactly like their parents. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you never really know. I don't think Sydney ever became like Maureen or anything like that. Well, let's see what happens in the fifth one. (laughs) (laughs) Never say never. Very true. But those are the motives. So that's how you get through the lore of the screams, I guess is the way to put it, right? Those are the motives. That's how everything pans out. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring this up and talk through everything, too, is because I would have done things differently. Oh. All right. Let me put this up to you for a second. Who do you think I think should have been the killer? Casey. Drew Barrymore? I think they they could have made it a twist. See, like I, a fake fake death kind of a deal, or it's or it's her boyfriend who like she thinks died and then didn't die. I have that twist of someone who you should think dies but didn't die. <gasps> Henry Winkler. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes! No, absolutely not. Well, I, you know what? By the way, Henry Winkler was probably like the best principal. Like he was Never. so nice and like loved all the kids and was like, everyone take off school so you don't get killed. And then he just got brutally murdered. And you're like, oh. Yeah, but they cut that scene out where Mr. they explain Himmler. why why the or him why he cut why he cut that decided to cut out school because Sydney's supposed to go to him and talk to him about being attacked in the school and that's why he closes this. I think she went straight to the police and the police told him you need to right. do this where we can't have kids getting terrorized in school. <laughs> right to this degree. Right. Well, which is maybe you find out where there are parties being held and maybe you stop that from happening. Or, you know, just Dewey, whatever. He's cool. Yeah. He can get, he totally handle it. He did so well. He did absolutely, absolutely fantastic. He t- 110%. <laughs> I wouldn't have like Nev Campbell or, I keep on going back and forth between Sydney and Nev Campbell, but I wouldn't That's have, fine. I wouldn't have it be Sid. I wouldn't have it be Gail. I wouldn't have it be Dewey. I would have had it be Randy. I think it yeah, but makes. But it's predictable. No, no, no. I don't think so because I would have had Scream 1 the exact same way, Scream 2 the exact same way. And then in Scream 3, instead of having it be Roman, the guy you wouldn't even guess would be there, I'd have it be Randy as the orchestrator or the director, I mean, like Roman. I would have him be the guy behind everything because he could have easily been the one to tell Billy and Stu that his mom is cheating on on his father. You know, he could have easily been that person. Plus, Billy easily could have shot Randy in the chest or in the head 
when he had the chance. Instead, he shot him in the shoulder. Right. Everything's set up there to be good. Randy is still not the guy who gets the girl. He's still completely obsessed with Sid. I was going to say, that, that's the perfect motive right there. Yeah. So you could have easily, especially because he knows horror movies so well and everything. Sure, I wouldn't have had him be the killer in the first or second movie. But, if yeah, but that's going, a better setup, though. If you drag it through these three movies to have it conclude with that, then that would be perfect. That's Well, thank you, Kelly. I, I appreciate welcome. it. Yes, see, that was my fan fiction that I wrote. What's to have that happen? See, but see, that, yeah, but that works because you've tra- you've dragged it through all three. I thought you meant in the first one. No, it's like, predictable in the first one. No, no, no. It's the same look in Scream Three when Gale goes and checks. Like Roman's supposed to be dead in the coffin, so you're supposed to be like, oh no, he's he's out. She does check his pulse, but doesn't really get a chance. Like no one really knows how to check a pulse in that time because your heart's beating so fast in your head that you would right. not be able to tell. Yeah. So that's what I wanted in Scream 2 when he gets pulled into the van and it looks like he's dead. If they do that kind of similar scene to where Roman was killed, where someone doesn't have the time to check. And you can still have the video in the third one come and tell him, oh, something from your past is going to come back. Like, you can still have all that and it works out fine. He would have to be a crazy, crazy psychopath to leave his family for years and years and hide out and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. But it's easy enough to do that in a time where there weren't as many cell phone usages and, like, all that kind right, of stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, But, I mean, that's just dedication anyway. And, I mean, a true psychopath, dedication. Exactly. So that's how I would have done it. I still think it was okay. Like, the storyline in general for a three wasn't bad. It was just they went way too comedic with it. And with Scream 2, that's why with Scream 2, I'm a little surprised that it has a higher Rotten Tomatoes rating because I thought Dewey really held back the story. It was so unrealistic to have Dewey show up and just be hobbling around everywhere and be no help to anybody and then have the whole romantic thing between him and Gail happen like when a killer's around. Like, I know you're supposed to be your endorphins are going, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I know people want to experience something good before they die, like all that kind of stuff. But see, I don't feel like I feel like the the romantic angle in that was more distracting than uh, Dewey on his own. Like, I don't feel like I could easily ignore you because I'm so much more interested in other characters. And maybe that's what people did. Yeah, you'd I mean, because I mean, until you really if I was looking for it. Then it'd probably annoy the shit out of me. But he's one of those characters that, I mean, honestly, I didn't really super care about. So I didn't really pay attention to him that much. Oh, I cared about him. I mean, he's mm-hmm. one of the trio that survived, you know? Why not? But, like, that's, he's one of those trio that are like, why are you the one that's still surviving? Like, I. I think that's something that I really respect about Scream is that they didn't go for the easy shock value. Because at some point, I mean, on, on three, they say any major character can die. No major character died because you can't consider Roman a major character because no one knew who he was until the end. Right. So Cotton Weary did. I guess you can consider him a main character. But even then, you only saw him a little bit in Scream 2. He had the lore about him on Scream 1. But Scream 2, you only saw him really at that final scene. And even then, he's not the greatest of people either. Like, he's not someone you're rooting for. No, he's just another person who's in it for the fame. Right. And in the fourth one, too... They could have easily taken out any of the trio, but they didn't. They all survive at the end. So there is something to respect about that, where to get money or to get more people's attention or that wow or that shock factor, they could easily take out one of the trio 
and get that, but they don't have to. And I don't know if they ever will. I don't know if they need to ever do that. Let the characters live and let them be one of those non-horror cliches of people that get through. Because come on, even in Halloween, they ended up killing Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. Sorry for anyone else who doesn't know that. But <laughs> she does end up being killed by Michael Myers, too. It isn't even something else. It's, it is him. Right. So who knows? I, I don't know where they'll go if they do a, a fifth one. I really don't think they need to. I I would... It's hard for me to say... I don't know if I'd put the third one above the fourth one because at least the fourth one brought something a little newer. I just don't okay. think they did. I don't think they did it right. I think that's the problem. Well, it's kind of one of those. How can you keep reinventing this anyway, though, and survive and surprise people, which apparently they're doing on the TV show. Yeah, I well, I kind of don't want to ruin that for people. It's not as original with some of the things as it probably could be. Hmm. We'll just say that, but okay. it's still. It's still relatively well done. It's worth a watch. I mean, with all the TV shows that are out there that are good, this one I think could be up there, especially if you like slasher movies. Like if you like that kind of horror movie, this has done better than any of the other slasher movies out there right now. Like they are not going to be able to remake Halloween to do well. No. They can't remake. Like actually the one thing I can say for Nightmare on Elm Street is that the thing that actually probably led up to Scream being so meta and being so more realistic is that Wes Craven's New Nightmare was one of the first movies, I think, that ever had horror movies as a thing in their reality. You see what I'm saying? Like, so, then that movie's good. Like, that's a good movie to check out, for sure. But I think that's what makes Scream different. I think I mentioned this briefly at the beginning of the episode. I like that a movie actually says, hey, there are horror movies. So it actually puts more onus on the people in it to kind of know what they should be doing. Because what they did for The Walking Dead is The Walking Dead is supposed to be created in a world where zombies, the concept of zombies don't exist. So that's why it takes them a long time to realize, hey, we need to shoot them in the head or we need to destroy the brain. And then if it bites you, it does this. And if, you know, things that they've never known as something that can happen. Interesting. Okay. So that's what it seems like every other horror movie was like, was they never had any horror movies to learn anything from. No references. Right. So in Scream and in Wes Craven Presents New Nightmare, however they want to say it, that one was Freddy terrorizing the actual actors in the horror movies. And that's why it was so cool was these people were like, but I'm not that character. And Wes Craven's in it. He's saying but you gave power to that character before and that's why he's after you. Like it was a good idea. Like that was really, and that was, yeah. And that was 1994. And by the way, for anyone who's looking for a good Halloween movie to watch, it is on Netflix. So you can watch that. It's probably one of the best. See my, my all time favorite nightmare on Elm street is the third one, the dream warriors one, because that's the one. Yeah. That's the one where actually the main character in, new nightmare dies that's where her character bites it but she's the main girl and she teaches all these kids to fight back in their dreams and that's what i love i love it when people are able to fight back because you would think in a dream why does he get all the power right you when get power too yeah so yeah. that was such just a simple concept that they were able to switch around and make work for a horror movie so that's my favorite but new nightmare is right there as well because new nightmare also has gauge from pet cemetery which, by the way, I'd like to point out that I've had a number of friends request that we do that movie. I watched it the other night. 
I can do that anytime. Come on. I've been working on my sometimes dead is better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Now I need a little bit more country twang to it because he really lays it on. But I got I think I got the better down. Better. No, no, no. Nice. Yeah. See, now I'm gonna see you auditioning for the Colonel commercials. I don't know. You have to be an established comedian, apparently. (laughs) They change that every two weeks. Which is awesome. I would still never eat there. I would definitely do the Pet Cemetery. I would do Pet Cemetery 2. Pet Cemetery 2 is such a fucked up movie. Even more fucked up than Pet Cemetery 1 is. Yeah, it has, what's his name from Terminator 2? The kid? Edward uh, the, Furlong. The, yes. Edward Furlong is in it. A few other famous people are in it that you would not expect to be in this. Because it's not a Stephen King. It's adapted from you know, right. Pet Cemetery 1. But it's not a Stephen King book. It's so fucked up. Like, we could definitely do both of those. Actually, there's a there's a documentary film coming out. I think it's next week. I might go to see it. It was written and directed, and the story was by people in Massachusetts, actually, I think. And they put together a doc on Pet Cemetery 1. And they have all these cast interviews and all this behind-the-scenes footage and what the movie did for people's careers and what it was like filming it and, like, all that kind of stuff. That might be a really interesting doc to see. Interesting. Yeah. But anyways, that's, yeah, Gage is a little bit older. Just a little bit, though. Not not that much older. He looks almost exactly the same as when he's a little kid. And he's being super creepy because Freddy's, like, fucking with him in his dreams and stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. It's well done. That's well done. So that was kind of the way I look at it as a precursor to Scream because that came out in 94. Scream comes out in 96. You've got another meta transition in there as well. Right. So that's the kind of way I look at Screams anyways is from that kind of perspective of it was more realistic because they were dealing with things that we've dealt with in real life in terms of horror movies have rules. These are said rules. Sometimes they're going to work. Sometimes they're not. But you would think... If your life was in a horror movie, you would want to know, hey, don't run upstairs, run outside. Also, the thing that they really never do until the end of each movie is fucking shoot someone in the head for one thing. But we talk about all the time. You need to stab that person multiple times, like dismember them, do something like not just assume everything's over. Why not shoot them in the head for good measure? And that's what they do, at least in Scream 2. I don't know why right. they didn't do it in Scream 3. I guess they wanted a little funnier ending, but what are you going to do? Yeah, but still, it's one of those... Exactly. Like, you know, and the fact that with Scream 3, the bulletproof vest kind of cracks me up because it's one of those, I'm planning ahead as well. Because you can't stab through those either. True. Except, oh, here's something we never even talked about too. One of the other things I liked about Scream, besides being able to make fun of the genre as well as being its own movie, right? They right. also made an iconic character. And when you think about horror movies, you think about Jason with the hockey mask and the machete. For right. Halloween, it's Michael Myers with the butcher knife. Right. With Freddy, it's Freddy Krueger and the finger, you know, the burn face with the knives as fingers and with the glove. And that sweater and that hat. Yeah. Right. So you've got that whole thing. Now with Scream, you've got the ghost face, which is a basic Halloween costume. So you've got a basic Halloween costume, and you've got that badass hunting knife. Right. Like, that knife is so cool. It works so well for the scenes where they pull back or the sound that it's supposed to make. It all works very, very well for them. So the only thing I would say about what you were saying was maybe because it is a hunting knife, maybe it can get through that. 
in Scream 3, she uses a pick or whatever, right? He doesn't stab her with the knife. He only shoots her. And then, obviously, she's got the bulletproof vest on, which is finally smart. She does have a gun, but she should be packing. Like, they should all be packing, like, a much better weapon. At that point... Yeah. I would say, okay, I understand you're in college in the second one. You really don't think this will ever happen again. Fine. Maybe you don't have a gun or something. But I don't know why Dewey didn't have a gun when he showed up at the college in the second one. And then the third one, I don't know why everyone isn't packing completely. (laughs) And she has a compound. She has a dog. She's like, why would you not? Okay, cool. If I'm leaving... Then I am loaded. When yeah. you leave the compound, why wouldn't you not be fully loaded? Like, that's what I don't understand. When no, I agree. It just keeps happening to you. Right. Look, if everyone did everything they were supposed to do, you wouldn't have a movie. No, because then I feel like that's not true. Because then you just have to think of a more creative way to get around it. But they don't have the time to think of more creative ways to get around it. So that's why they just don't have it. Like, it's the same with four. I don't think, I forget, maybe Sydney has a gun in the fourth one, but I really don't think so. Because she goes back to Woodsboro. I mean, after the third one, it seems like everything's done. And that's why the third ending works very well. Right. She goes back to the house and they're all just, you know, Dewey and Gail get engaged. And they go into the house and Kincaid is there and they're going to watch a movie. And she sees the door just kind of swing back open when she didn't close it correctly. And she looks at it like, oh, the old Sydney would go and lock it and do all the security stuff. But she knows it's over. So she just lets it open. Now, is it the second or the third one where she has the mace? That's the third one. It is the third I one. I think okay. she, well, so she has she's got that. Yeah, 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 because that's what she gets out, but she should have a gun at that point. That's what doesn't make much sense to me, because it's the third one. By the third one, you should have a gun. Right. The second one, I could, that's yeah. why I was like, is it the second one? Is no, mace? Sec- because then- second one, the only weapon she technically gets is the necklace that she uses from Derek. That's right. It. Which is nice. And in the third one, she still has it, which is nice as well. Like, I wish she had been able to use it. Right. But in the fourth one, she doesn't have it. Okay. So maybe she got over his death or something finally. But really, if you think about it, between the third one and the fourth one, maybe every person that Sydney's had sex with has been killed. So she mm. might be off sex like altogether. Because in the third one, I don't know if she hooks up with Kincaid at all. They don't really actually show that, even though Kincaid definitely had something for her. Right. She's way too entrenched in everything going on to reciprocate said feelings. And then in the fourth one, she's not with anybody. Right. So who knows? Mm, Okay. All in all, I think people should see the trilogy, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say this isn't going to disappoint you. It's just in hindsight, you'll see some of the issues that we're talking about. I think because there's no way. That's why I don't understand how Scream 2 has a higher run. It's only by a couple percentage points. I don't understand how Scream 2 can have any higher stuff because there are goofy parts in Scream 2 that aren't in Scream 1 that just don't make much sense to me. But I think it's tapping into that whole college genre too, which always tends to work better. Because it's one of those, it, that's, I mean, it is scary. You're going off to college by yourself, blah, blah, blah. Now, what if this is happening on top of it? I could see that a little bit. But I would like, but always do better. For me, for me, high school was scarier than college ever was. So that's why Scream 1 works. <laughs> and then Scream 3 isn't scary at all. But no. None of these are scary. I no, don't get scared at any harm. As far as I'm considered. No. As far as you're considered? Yes. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. There we go. It's well, not late. I'm fine. Whatever. It's cool. Well, let me ask you this before we before we wrap things up with something that we want to talk about. Is there anything else that we're missing? 
between these three. Like we said, we're not doing Scream 4. So no. just between 1, 2, and 3, is there anything that we want to cover? Why does nobody have their windows shut or blinds drawn in any of these homes at night? It's suburbia. So? I don't know. That's just what I'm saying. Look, everything of mine is always locked up. In my apartment, I am no more than five feet away from a weapon. No more than five feet, no matter where I stand <laughs> in my apartment. But this is I will vouch for this. Yeah. This is a completely true statement. Yeah, things, things don't happen to me in my apartment, though. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know. So maybe in suburbia, people just didn't think that anything would ever happen in their small towns. You know, Woodsboro is a small town. Yeah, but I don't care. I'm not walking around my house where I can't see outside and you can see me. Period. I totally agree. It's just one of those staples of horror movies, I guess. At least Sydney in the third movie had all of the security she needed. True, she did have big windows, but still, if someone broke in through said window, her alarm would go off, and the dog would be there, and she did have weapons, so... But it took her three movies. Well, the second movie, she's in college. I can make excuses for Sydney all the time. Okay, you're good, good. Don't worry, I got you covered. We're good. So I think the main thing that we should talk about is... The final scene in Scream 1. Yes. This is my second favorite movie, but one of the scenes I find to be a masterpiece. So we start off with Sid and Billy having sex for the first time. And then Sid asks him, hey, who's that one phone call you're allowed to make when you're in a police station? Maybe something she should have asked before having sex, but eh, to each their own. Eh, teens, when you're hard up, you're like, it's fine, it'll yeah. work. <laughs> she didn't want to ruin the ruin the no. mood there <laughs> so he goes ahead and he's like oh my dad you know blah blah they, they talk back and forth and he says well what do i have to do to prove to you that i'm not a killer that's when the killer comes in and slashes him a bunch of times and then they have the whole chase scene and they have a whole that's another kind of iconic scene too is when they're going back and forth where he's got the keys so he's unlocking different doors and she has to run and get it before, and then he comes through the trunk when she doesn't realize it. Very well right. done, yeah. At this point, Gail Weathers gets run off the road to the point where it looks like she died in like a car accident almost. Dewey right. has a knife in the back, so he's pretty much dead. And Sid runs into the house, and there is Randy and Stu. And both of them are yelling at her because she's got a gun. She got a gun off of Dewey. Randy and Stu are both coming up. Now, Randy's saying, Tatum's dead. I think Stu did it. Stu's saying, Tatum's dead. Randy did it. Give me the gun. Like, help us out, whatever. Fuck you both. She runs in the house. She shuts the door. Billy, somehow, comes stumbling out of the room and does a great pratfall down the stairs, which could have killed him, maybe. True, actually, yeah. She's freaked out, but gives him the gun. Stu is gone from the front. Randy's still there. So Randy comes in. Here's your twist. Here's your baby face turn to heel. <laughs> because. Wow. We all go a little mad sometimes. Puts up the gun. Shoots Randy in the shoulder. Sydney's like, what the fuck? Gets to run away from him for a second. And then Stu shows up. And she wants Stu to help. But Stu's got the voice changer. And right there in that moment, no one knew that was going to happen. No, absolutely not. And it works Especially so Stu, well. Especially Stu, because Stu's an idiot, and right. you assume that he can't throw this together at all. Yeah, and why would he want to kill Tatum? Right. There was no reason. She's so cute. Like, why would you want to do that? It makes no sense. You've already got everything you want. And that was another thing that made Scream different, is these weren't 
the losers of high school. You know what I mean? These weren't right. the you know, quote-unquote Columbine kids. You know, These two guys had girlfriends. They had an okay standing in school. There wasn't like anyone getting picked on. There wasn't anything like that. It didn't seem like they had bad, you know, probably Stu didn't have the best grades or anything. But right. in general, these guys pretty much had everything going for them in high school, which is hard to do. Yeah. Why would they want to do all of these things? It doesn't add up. So then now you've got Sydney's realization and then you go into one of the greatest horror movie scenes of explaining why. And yeah, they, you know, you always talk about monologuing and not giving away your entire plan, but their plan is fucking foolproof. It right. really is. That is a great plan. It's the anniversary of Sid's mother's death. So the father, who she was cheating on, right, can easily fly off the handle and start killing people because of this. So they get him, they frame him. To make it seem like he's the one, they clone his cell phone so that it's him making all the calls. They've got him wrapped up. Everyone's looking for him as a suspect. There it is. And then they're going to be the ones left for dead. And they're smart enough to know this is Stu's house. That's where they are right now. They're in Stu's house right. because of that party. No one's going to believe that they could get away scot-free from this massacre of death. So what do we do? They have to stab each other to be the last ones left for dead and really the only reason why their plan falls apart is because gail weathers was not dead in the news van accident yeah but see i want to disagree with you there so it it was foolproof to the point where why would you stab each other until you like why wouldn't you make sure everyone actually is dead including sydney and then stab each other I will answer that because that is something i thought about as well i think they also did it to freak sydney out I think to they, show how crazy they are. Yeah, I can get that. I think, or how smart they were, and how willing they were to go all that the way extra to do. Mile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I th- I'll give you that. Because I think they also they would probably kill the father in front of her as well. Oh yeah. Just for fun, but really, if Gail hadn't shown up, they would have been fine. Okay. Because Billy goes a little bit like, and that's why this whole dynamic is great as well is Billy is the first one to stab Stu, but he probably went in too deep on Stu, possibly. And then when it's Billy's turn, he's like, hey, make sure to the side and not too deep. And Stu does it perfectly, but Billy thinks he didn't. So then he goes off on him and starts stabbing him more times. Right. But because Stu's such a follower, he doesn't even turn on Billy. It's not a, hey, now I'm going to kill you and they fight. Now it's not that. Right, right, right. And that is just... So fucking good too. I love I love Stu when he gives him the knife. He's like, You see, Sid, everybody dies but us. Everybody dies but us. See, we're gonna carry on and plan the sequel because these days you gotta have a sequel. And then he gets sliced, he's not even expecting it, and Billy just goes crazy. <laughs> like if you had the script, I could just do everyone's lines through this whole thing. It's so well written and so well done. The acting is great too. The acting is really well. Like I will Stu- definitely give it. For horror movies, who usually there's no acting. They did a good job. Yeah, Stu is over-the-top psycho, but it works for this situation. And Billy is that, holy shit, you don't want to fuck with a guy like that. Like When he goes over, at, when he realizes that when Stu put the gun down, that he put the safety on, because you hear it distinctly when he puts the safety on to go get the father. When he realizes, oh, Gail didn't take off the safety, and he goes at her, and she starts to shoot, and she can't. 
and then he kicks her into the wall. When he goes down to her, picks up the gun, puts it to her head, and then cracks his neck. It is such it's such a great little scene. See, I I, I noticed the little things. Wow. Yeah. I've seen it over two hundred times. So of course gonna I'm gonna say? know like every single step that they take in it. Because Stu is so rah-rah Billy, he's not watching Sydney when this happens, so that's when Sydney gets away. And like a smart person, she has a cell phone, she goes into the closet and she calls 911 first. It isn't let me run away through the back door, or let me try. Right. She runs in the closet. She calls 911, tells them it's Billy and Sue. So right there, it's game over for them, really. Right. That's it. So then they do the whole trying to find her. And that's when, you know, they get distracted by Halloween, which is classic. And then she stabs Billy with the umbrella twice, three times or whatever. And then Stu stumbles out and then they have their little fight. And apparently they ad-libbed their little, I always had a thing for you, Sid. And she says, in your dreams, because he's talking about, like, Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, right, And then she pushes the TV on his face. Oh, fuck. And then Randy coming back. And and she's like, oh, Randy, I thought you were dead. He goes, I thought so, too. I've never been so happy to be a virgin. And then punch in the face. (laughs) And there's Billy. And Billy just slamming her, picking her up and slamming her on the ground. Right. And saying, say hello to your mother for me. And her just sticking her finger in his wound that she had inflicted. Which is brilliant. Yes. And then Gail Weathers comes in, shoots him. Looks like I remember the safety that time, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, the classic, which ended up being classic for the next. Actually, technically, it's almost. I think they kind of did in the fourth one, too. But that whole watch out. You know, this is when the killer comes back for one big scare and then headshot. Yep. And then it just works. Everything works about that. And like I said, we could do a whole script reading for that last scene, but it probably, what's the point? You should all know it by now. But so many great lines. It was a great idea. The father is not in the second one, but he does come back in the third. He doesn't die in the third one. Right now. I don't think he's in the fourth one, if I remember correctly. But all in all, I think it's a very good trilogy I think they miss the boat on a few things. It's not perfect. I think Scream 1 is perfect. I don't think there's anything you can do in Scream 1 to make that movie better. Okay. Would you? Knowing that I've seen it twice, I don't think I can make that. (laughs) All right. And 198 more times. Right. Then we'll have this argument. Okay. I think they could have tightened things up a little bit in Scream 2. And then Scream 3, I'm fine with the storyline. I would have done mine over it. But also, I would have relaxed on the comedy part. And right. Just they could have definitely yeah. added more. Yeah. They didn't have to have all the doppelgangers. Or anything. Like, right. we could have made it more terrifying with that, but they don't. Very true. In general, though, for me, it was a revolution in horror movies for what they did. But unfortunately, I can't look at horror movies now and say that they actually helped. They helped themselves. Okay. They revitalized the horror industry. You can say that. They revitalized no, it because yeah, no one was going to see horror movies. Most were straight to video, all that kind of stuff. It was only all the sequels of all the main horror movie villains and everything. With Scream, they revitalized. It's just Then it just became, here are a bunch of slasher movies and everyone being stupid in the slasher movies. Yeah. So that was unfortunate. And right now... You have that horrible Blomhouse or Bloomhouse or whatever the fuck making. I hope that the Blair Witch remake flopped. I think it did. I'm. I think it did too. Yeah, actually. I'm pretty sure it did. So that's awesome. Very happy about that. 
like I said, I don't like sequels, so I would have been completely fine without Scream 2, Scream 3, and Scream 4. I think Scream 1 is a perfect movie, horror movie anyways. I think right. it's a perfect horror movie. I think everyone, if you haven't seen it, you should because I think it has everything that you'll want besides nudity. I think that's probably the only thing that they don't have. And it's a movie that still holds up. Sure, they have a couple of big phones, but this was right when cell phones were coming out. So even the cell phones aren't huge. They're not no, the worst. Yeah. They're not Zach Morris phones, but there still no. are some landlines, you know. Right. Other than that, I think the movie still holds up. I don't think there's anything. I don't think you complain about anything anyways. Yeah, well, the technology isn't isn't as prevalent. Like, it's not as prevalent to where it would, would date itself because they use knives. I mean, the, what is it? The first movie, she pops on her computer to call 911, which is a little whatever. That's a little but iffy. It's, but it's not enough to... And they were never like, let's go on Ask Jeeves and search for something. They just left the internet the internet whole thing away. And then by Scream 4, Scream 4 has them doing a whole the live webcast of stuff. Like the killer is killing people while videoing it in live stream. And yeah, oh, they, they do everything. Saw. Yeah, they do everything in Scream 4. Well, They're basically Twitter about it, I think, too. Like, oh, I wouldn't be surprised. God. Yeah. I mean, I should have asked you to put together, like, a quiz, and then I could have shown my extreme, astute knowledge of everything Scream. Okay, so trivia. Just to prove okay. to everybody that I am the mass, besides, like, <laughs> Kevin Williamson, or what, and that's another thing, too. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't mention Kevin Williamson wrote 1, 2, and 4, and then I think it's Aaron Kruger wrote 3, and then some of the rewrites of 4. Okay. Yeah. So that's just another. That's I. That I guess that counts as trivia technically. But other than that, you know, other than Kevin Williamson, I probably know more about Scream than anyone else. Challenge accepted, people. Let's see what you got. That's why I tried to get Spencer from the band Ice Nine Kills on the show because he said it's his all-time favorite movie, and I wanted him on the show so that we could go over these things and talk about it. But I never heard back from him. So Aww. it would have been a great cross promotion between Ian hates right? music and Ian hates movies. Yeah. Uh, I thought so. All right. Well, Kelly, thank you very much for watching these. I'm very happy to have exposed you to greatness. <laughs> I know you do the show with me every week, but I, know, I was gonna say <laughs> I get my dose every now and then when we do this. But you know, it's it's fine, whatever. <laughs> well, Kelly, on that note, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, you can always find me on Instagram at Nerdy Girl Ivy, as well as Facebook. We are going to start our competition or whatever it is that we're going to do, you know, with the holidays coming up and everything. So if you can take a little time and rate us, share us, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, all your favorite podcast listening apps, but especially leave a five-star review if you like what we're doing and leave some words and some notes or whatever in the comment section and we will read it on the show. And then at some point we will pick like our favorite one. And then there'll be some type of a prize or something involved in that. So we'll figure out how to do that as well. But definitely, if you can, take your time, go to iTunes, rate us, leave a comment. That really helps our review, whatever you want to call it. And that would really help us out. Also, you can interact with me on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Ian Hates Podcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Ian Hates. You can email me, ianhates at gmail.com. And then you can always... If you don't like all those other podcast listening apps and you want to listen straight from the website, you can stream and download every single episode of Ian Hates Movies and Ian Hates Music 
on www.ianhates.com. I was very happy to be able to do my second favorite movie today. Woo-hoo! And look, we didn't do the whole let's go scene by scene with these because first of all, we're talking about three movies. And second, I mean, I think it was better to do an overview and to go into the theory and to go into, you know, the whole scream lore and mythology and everything. Absolutely, I think that's better, yeah. yeah. So hopefully everyone enjoyed that. Next week, we are going to have another surprise for you. <laughs> it's going to be big time. Oh, yeah. Big time. So this will round out our horror suspense mystery series. You know, we'll obviously be doing them as time goes on. Like, we're not limiting ourselves to not doing horror anymore. But it was fun doing it for September and October. This is the last one in that series. And then we'll go on. Maybe, you know, maybe a Doctor Strange will come up. Who knows? You know, we got a bunch of movies that we can go ahead and do. So next week, though, it's going to be big time. So you're going to have to tune in because I think you're really going to enjoy it. So, Kelly, with that, do you have any final words for people? So what's your favorite scary movie? Look at that tie-in. Woo! Very nice. It's like synergy. And as much <laughs> as I'd like to just do the whole monologue from the end of the movie, right. I'm going to leave you the way I always do. Long days and pleasant nights. Thanks, everyone. Hello? Hello? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. Uh, I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step. Too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Hey, what's me? Never, ever. Never, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Who do we make the rules? The police are always on track. If they watch Palm Night, they save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Everybody's a suspect! Go! Not scared, are you? Scream.